Hello and welcome to the Erwin Mitchell podcast, uh, which we're here to keep you up to date with the legal and financial news that matters to you. My name is Yogi Amin and I'm a partner at Erwin Mitchell and I'm in the uh, chair or the hot seat this week. I specialise in public law and in particular other areas of public law, I specialise in education law and education is the hot topic we are discussing this week. Um, In this podcast, we like to have a discussion about topical areas that affect all of our clients or have a real public interest where we as lawyers can help try and um, inform people and have a helpful and hopefully an interesting uh, debate. It may surprise you to find out that children with special educational needs uh, make up around 15% of all pupil, pupils in mainstream education. I think we all know that this week schools are reopening. My own children were back at school today. I was busy this morning making pet lunches before I started work, which was a real novelty because we haven't been doing that for uh, however many months since we've been locked down. So with schools reopening today up and down the country, we're focusing on the issues and challenges that are causing parents and children a real concern and quite a lot of uncertainty around this time during the COVID pandemic. In particular, we're going to focus on today children and families with a disability. As you can imagine, even in the mainstream area where parents and children are concerned about the practicalities of readjusting their lives and being asked to go back to school, they're the added real concerns, and in particular for children and families with a disability. So that's the uh, key topic of today. And to have that discussion, I'm delighted to be joined uh, by my colleague, Caroline Barrett, who's a specialist educational solicitor in Erwin Mitchell's public law team. I'm also joined by Louise Gillard. Hello, Louise. Hi. Hi. Louise is from the Disability Charity Scope. Do you have a particular title? Yeah, Yeah, I'm team leader for um, the Parents Connect service. So we support parents of children with disabilities and additional needs. So I presume in that role you reach out to hundreds or thousands of people. Yeah, yeah, we have um, hundreds. We've supported hundreds of people during the pandemic and supporting a lot of those now with children going back to school. Great. It's great to get your insight and knowledge. And we're also joined by Joe Van Berkel. Uh, Joe, you're the mother of Kit, who um, everybody should know from the work at Owen Mitchell. He's an incredible young man who has cerebral palsy, uh, but he's one of the stars of our I Am Able campaign at Owen Mitchell. Um, how is life at home at the moment, Joe. Life at home is, uh, funnily enough, I leapt out of bed with a spring in my step because I know tomorrow both my boys are going back to school. So, um, <laughs> yeah, mixed emotions, actually, because Kit's starting secondary school. 
Right. And so he's got um, the double whammy of uh, starting a new school as well as not being at school for a number of months. So, um, and really, my focus over the last six months has actually been on preparing him for secondary school and doing a lot of transition work during our homeschool time, um, which has been um, invaluable, actually. So, yes, it, it, generally, we're all very, very excited for tomorrow. Mm. He is as well. But of course, we've not had the usual transition time that we would with a school, um, especially for a child like Kit. Um, I'll just explain briefly. Kit has quadriplegic cerebral palsy. Um, he uh, is a is nonverbal. He's a communication aid user. Um, he's bright, um, but people need to know him. And there's an awful lot of um, things that we've got to be teaching the teaching assistants who are taking over, over looking after him at school. Um, so a lot of what we would have done obviously just stopped. So we have we've had to improvise. And we've had to adjust and we've been having Zoom calls with schools, uh, with the school and meeting with our TAs um, online and chatting and just doing things in a completely different way. But that said, it's been a complete success. I feel, you know, as a parent, I feel 100% confident for tomorrow and ready. And he's ready and excited and giddy. And he, Kit is 12. He repeated year six. So... Um, He's got an extra year of maturity in coping with this transition. So actually, I think, um, you know, that, that's been a good thing. So, yeah, <laughs> generally, we're very excited. So, Jay, you feel the family are 100% ready for school? Children need school. They need their friends. They've missed their friends. And yes, lockdown in, in many ways has been fun. Um, and I know that parents have, have given 100% into uh, making sort of homeschooling as, as interesting and as fun for their kids as they can. But ultimately, we're not experts. And, and actually, mm -hmm. that's what worried me more with Kit, um, not so much with my other son, Oliver, but really with Kit in that his, although he's mainstream educated, um, he has so many um, things that we have to deal with and so many additional things that we'll have to yeah. take into consideration. So in a way, I was winging it. Um, and we can wing it and we wing it well. But it, there was a, there was that worry that is he going to be starting secondary school knowing all of his times tables and he should mm. do but Kit does have a, a learning delay small learning delay so yes um, a lot to take was into account worry. so Louise at Scope how have the charity found the inquiries from lots of families during the lockdown period. Um, well, certainly with regards to going back to school, families have found it fairly confusing. Um, there's been not much information come out. The guidance was very late coming out. Um, and families are a bit unsure about how to get their children transitioned back to school successfully. Um, as Joe touched on as well, there's not been that usual transition period for children. Um, usually that starts at the end of the previous year and we haven't had that either. Um, so parents are very wary and very nervous about sending their children back to school and about knowing what's going to be in place for them. So your advice during the lockdown period has been to try and focus on the children's individual needs. Absolutely, yeah. You're um, saying now it's a real question of looking at how their needs are going to be met when they transition back into school. Yeah, and that's very much the unknown. And it's by no, 
it's no fault of the schools. Um, the schools have done a really good job in everything they can in place. Um, it's just that this guidance has been quite late coming to schools. So I know that they're desperately trying to help these children. Um, as far as we have, as parents go, yeah, definitely the child as an individual, and we know that our ch children the best. No one knows that child better than us. And I think we as parents need to take the next few weeks um, and make our own judgment calls and rely on our instinct. The import the most important thing is that our children are happy going back to school, um, and we can almost let a lot of the educational things slide for a while until they're nice and settled and happy in school. And there's a legal term for that. I think my colleague uh, Caroline Barrett <laughs> can come in and talk about it. Caroline, um, we've had all sorts of legal adjustments. They're called legal easements, I think, haven't we, over the period of the lockdown. Um, but what's the legal position now in terms of the uh, duties of schools and local authorities to provide the education for our children. Mm. Yes, I mean it's it's been a really difficult period for um, families um, and for schools because there's been so many legal changes on top of all of the other practical problems that COVID has presented um, during uh, the you know the lockdown. Um, most schools. Um, were closed to the majority of, of children, um, apart from children of, of key workers, and, and they were meant to remain open for children with EHC plans and um, additional needs. Educational healthcare plans. Yes, sorry, yeah. educational healthcare plans. Um, but I think we know in practice the vast majority of children um, who had EHC plans, um, from, my, from my experience anyway, seem to have remained at home. Um, and that's partly because some parents were obviously concerned about shielding children who had additional vulnerabilities. Um, but also, I think um, some parents have told us that although school probably should have been an option for their child, lots of schools just weren't available for their children. Mm. Um, and so this causes lots of issues because, you know, touching on the legal points um, during the, the lockdown, um, some of the duties that normally applied to EHC plans were relaxed. So there was no longer an absolute duty to provide provision that was in an EHC plan. Um, local authorities just had to use their reasonable endeavours to provide that provision. So you're um, saying that legal duties were watered down during the pandemic? They were, yeah. So um, this caused lots of problems because obviously the majority of parents are trying to provide support to their children at home, but without the usual support um, that was in EHC plans without the you know the additional one-to-one -one or without some of the therapies um, and of course some schools were able to try and provide some of that remotely um, but we know I mean uh, from the parents that have contacted us that the vast majority haven't had the support that they would normally have in schools um, and obviously you know this causes some concerns for parents because now that children are going back to school uh, it's not only a case of helping children transition back to school but it's also trying to make up for that time that they've lost and for children with additional needs who perhaps have also missed out on things like speech and language therapy and occupational therapy and um, there's quite a lot to make up on uh, once they get back to school. So we mentioned educational health care plans 
Uh, Caroline, do you want to just quickly explain what an educational healthcare plan is and what the legal duties in there are? Mm, so um, the Education Health and Care Plan, which is an EHC plan, is the formal document that is issued by a local authority to um, children who have special educational needs um, and where the school needs some additional funding and support from a local authority to meet that child's needs in school. So not all children with special educational needs have an EHC plan, um, but where you hit um, a threshold, which as I say, is essentially when the school needs additional funding from a local authority, um, the local authority will carry out an assessment of their child's needs and will then develop an EHC plan. Um, and the purpose of the EHC plan is to set out what a child's needs are, both in terms of special educational needs, but also their healthcare needs and their social care needs. Um, and it will also set out what provision is required to meet all of those needs. Um, and the reason why that is all really important is because a child has um, legal rights that stem from that document. So um, the school that's named in the EHC plan has to admit the child and all of the special educational provision in the plan has to be provided. Jo, you're, you were delivering the educational health care plan for your child, um, Kit, when he was at home. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, of course, you know, lockdown started for all of us and we had to do the very best we could. And, you know, I like to make sure that all my children um were working and were busy and I found actually having a structured day following a school day nine o'clock start 45 minute lesson then I had a break then another 45 minute lesson then Joe Wicks workout <laughs> then lunch then reading and then art I found that actually that gave them structure for the day and it stopped them constantly wanting to be on the xbox or just mucking around or you know, on their do, you think, do you think Joe Wicks needs to be written into everyone's educational healthcare plan Absolutely. now? Absolutely. And what, I tell you, one of the reasons that Joe Wicks was so good for us was that Kit has to go in a stander every single day. Okay. So when Oliver and I were doing the stand, uh, were doing Joe Wicks, Kit was in his stander. So he was, we were all just doing it together and we were all yeah. in it together and having fun. And, and it, it really was brilliant. So, um, but we we got a lot of guidance from our uh, from Kit's primary school actually, uh -huh. and they did help us with uh, certain you know being specific of what they wanted Kit to work on, especially as he was repeating year six. It was for him it was about underpinning his learning and firming up those foundations before moving forward to secondary. So we knew that we needed to go over things like the tables and all of the sort of um, you know key stuff that that make a, a firm foundation for education. And going back to school now, what, what is the priority for Kit in terms of what part of his needs do you think in the rank of priority, what comes first? Yeah, so what comes first is him settling and making friends, first mm. and foremost, without any doubt. We've got lots of time to work on Kit's education. Um, so just getting him settled, getting him back in the routine, because of course children have been staying up late all over the country. People, uh, children have been up late. They're getting up later. All of a sudden, tomorrow morning, this ha this family's got to rise at seven o'clock. In fact, our carers will arrive at seven o'clock. So that's a that's whole a sort big, of about two hours earlier than the, the way you... That's a huge uh, change. Well, it is. And I am concerned that there's going to be children up and down the country whose parents may not be as diligent about bedtime. 
um, who are going to be absolutely shattered with just changing, um, going back to that school life and, you know, running around the playground, being active. Of course, kids haven't been as active, so they will be exhausted. And that is going to impact on education as well. So um, to an extent, it is up to the parents to try and be as as hard as we can to get that bedtime early. Children need a long sleep. And that's just a fact. And Kit does. He fatigues with his cerebral palsy. I told both my boys last night, bedtime's going to be eight o'clock. And you should have seen their face. (laughs) (laughs) And Louise, for other parents that have been calling in for advice, uh, what what do they see as the number one priority for going back to school? I think, yeah, just echo what Joe says, that the the children are going to settle back in. It's almost like starting a new school for a lot of children because they have been off so long. And, um, yeah, just um, on the EHCPs, a lot of parents did not send the children to school. Um, I myself didn't. My son has an EHTP and a lot of parents did want to keep those children at home. So it has been six quite long months, I think all parents will agree. Mm -hmm. And I think the priority is just getting our children back and settled, but making sure that they feel safe and secure in school again because they're very switched on little things and they know what's going on in the world and they know this this um, virus isn't a very nice one and they need to be able to feel safe and secure in that school as well. It's a rather strange thing because it is going to be temporary. Uh, Let's hope so. We all hope and that there will be a vaccination or an end to this misery of a pandemic but um, schools have had to adapt to introducing their staff and their children back into school. I know myself as I was a governor of a primary school for 10 years and a chair of government for four years and the logistics required to actually get together um, a system so that hundreds of children can go back into a school building. My own old school was 200 years old so you can't knock the walls down just to have smaller classrooms i think some of the classes have had to go into the hall to be taught but um i think i suppose there's concern by the school and there's concern by parents that um then the school are actually meeting their legal obligation to their staff and educate their children i mean caroline do you know schools have been in touch with legal concerns um yes i mean we we have inquiries from both parents and from schools um because you know this is complicated and it's it's brand new for this year and and as yogi said hopefully for this year only but um we don't know Uh, and there's been an absolute slew of of guidance um and new regulations that have come out over the summer um and uh, you know obviously going back to school is very different depending on um, an individual child's needs um, and for some children they'll need quite different provision from what they received before lockdown so some children with quite high medical needs for example um, you know schools have concerns about how do we implement that safely and do we have enough classroom space to provide um, medical care to children in, in separate classrooms for example what, um, parents, what should parents say to the head teacher if they think their child 
is not going to have the therapies that were there before. Yeah. So um, we talked earlier about how the the duty to provide what was in an EHC plan was relaxed during um, the lockdown period. Um, that's now being reinstated. And so the technical legal position is that what is in a child's EHC plan um, in section F of an EHC plan, which is the bit that sets out the special educational provision, that now has to be provided. Um, and that duty actually rests on the local authority. Um, and so schools that feel that they are going to struggle uh, will need to be in contact with their local authority who should be supporting um, the delivery of the provision in children's EHC plans. Um, but also all of these schools um, under the guidance should be trying to carry out risk assessments for children that are returning to school. Um, and so where a child, for example, has quite um, significant medical needs, which seems to be one of the areas that schools and parents are finding trickiest to navigate, um, that that risk assessment will identify um, those issues and how they can try to address them in school. Um, yes. But I think it's fair to say we still see so many people concerned about that in particular. So the legal duties are back up and running and live. Yes, there's, but, there's actually a lot of legal duties. And I think it's important whenever I speak to parents to, to try and make sure that everyone's aware of what they are. <laughs> so um, in terms of what's in an EHC plan, the provision has to be made available to your child. Um, all schools have to make reasonable adjustments um, for children with special educational needs um, to make sure that they're not discriminated against. Um, and local authorities also have a duty to provide suitable education to children. And so some of the inquiries we're getting at the minute are, for example, from families who feel that their child actually can't return to school at the moment because what is in the EHC plan can't be provided um, because, for example, there's no medical space for them to be treated during the day. Um, and the local authority will have a duty in those cases to ensure that that child still receives an education, even if it's not at school. So if um, the particular school or the head teacher cannot organise that provision within the school grounds, then your advice is they should go to the local authority. Yeah, they should. That your child is entitled to an education and is entitled to what is in the EHC plan. Um, it, you know, and I think we have to recognise it is very difficult at the minute for schools um, because they they are trying to comply with all this statutory guidance. But the effect of some of that guidance makes it very difficult for them to actually deliver what's in some of these EHC plans. Um, and the main example we see given to us quite a lot is, is children who have tracheostomies um, and who require what's called aerosol generating procedures. So children who need suctioning. Um, there are so many uh, guidelines for schools about how to do that. Um, and children have to be taken to a separate room and their carer has to wear not just PPE in terms of a mask, but full um, fit tested mask you know apron and gown um, and then the room has to be deep cleaned straight afterwards and obviously some of these children require that several times an hour and it's just not going to become practical to deliver that um, and so we're hearing from lots of parents and from schools who are saying how can we navigate that um, and you know it's very difficult so I think you know um, it's difficult because uh, schools aren't hospitals no and um, to provide such a clinical procedure is very, very tricky. But they have always, you know, schools have always provided that to date. Mm. Um, and the, the staff are trained to suction um, children if they need it. Um, 
but obviously schools do have a duty to their staff and to the other pupils and, and if they have guidance which tells them you have to do it in this way then they have a responsibility to try and follow that guidance which but is why you talk it, about uh, the risk assessment yeah but you know the effect of it means that lots of families are saying i just don't think my child can actually go back um because they're going to spend their entire day in this separate room and never make it back to the classroom. So your um, advice to parents, I assume, is to ask for those risk assessments. Absolutely. See whether they've been done and done properly. Absolutely. And it's, it, as I said before, it's to know your rights. So to, you, know, to, you have that risk assessment done. You know that your child is entitled to what's in their EHC plan. They have to be kept safe and they have to receive the support they need. Um, and unfortunately, that does mean, I think, in some circumstances, it's still not going to be possible for some children to go back to school. Mm. Can I can I say there, yes, Caroline, yeah. that one of mm. the things that springs to mind is and the, one of the things that I know will fall down, um, not for Kit, but for many, many other children is um, speech and language therapy, physiotherapy and occupational therapists visiting school. Um, I suspect um, their visits will be very few and far between. So there is a concern there that. Um, you know, the child may not, uh, from an occupational therapy point of view, the seating might not be right or the desk space might not be right. Or for speech and language therapy, they're falling behind the curve of where they should be because they're not having that intervention that they so badly need. And I suspect knowing what, you know, obviously the difficulties the NHS is under at the moment and, and actually getting a therapist out face to face. I mean, I know that all my hospital appointments now are all on the phone, which actually for me suits me rather well because I don't have anything pressing. But, um, for many families, this will be a big concern. Yeah, it will be. And I, I think that will come down to individual schools and how they do their risk assessments. I think it is possible to deliver those therapies, but you're right. I'm sure lots of schools will have concerns about how to do it. Um, and I know, and, and children will need that support if they're to be back in school. Yes. I mean, some schools have the therapies on site. Mm. Is that right? And the yeah, it's will... a mixture. You know, some some uh, NHS therapists that get sent in a couple of times a week and some schools have them on site all the time. So I think, you know, it will depend on individual schools and the risk assessments they do. But, you know, from a legal perspective, and I know, I know I'm the lawyer in the room, so I always <laughs> come back to it. But from a legal perspective, you know, what's in the EHC plan um, has to be delivered. Mm. And I, I, I do think that, you know, um, it's incredibly difficult for parents to always have to fight for these things. But, you know, um, your child is entitled to what's in the EHC plan. And and the, the key thing for um, myself this year as a uh, special educational needs lawyer is trying to help people deliver that in some way. And we'll have to, um, you know, make sure that those duties are followed and that children get the support they need, albeit it's going to be trickier this year than it has been in, in previous years. And we'll find a way around it. Thank you. Joey, from your experience, are the therapists actually coming from the NHS into schools or are they actually on site? Um, well, certainly from my point of view, the therapists that would go and see Kit were coming from the NHS because mm. Kit's in mainstream. You know, we are fortunate Kit has a private team, so I don't have to call on the NHS very often. So I don't have that worry. And which is why I say for a lot of parents, that will be a big worry. You know, I have a lot of speech and language therapy for Kit, or I have had yeah. in the past. Lots of families don't, and their children badly, badly need it. And with with greater intervention, um, they would reach their potential far quicker. And of course, I've seen that because Kit's been on a private journey, if you like. Uh, and, with you, his... and, the pri and the private uh, provision that you've 
is put in place presumably from a compensation claim which has then made arrangements for a private yes, care package. That, yes, that's right. And yes, we, we've had a long association with Erwin Mitchell, 12 years now, um, uh, after a successful claim. And it was just um, it was in July, actually, when it really made me realise how important that private team was to us. When, because I knew that at the beginning of this term, we couldn't just train Kit's new three HLTAs. We couldn't train them in a day. We were able to have a training session on site, all with our social distancing. But we had five hours in a room together. And so that actually gave me the confidence that I've got today for, you know, for school starting tomorrow. I've had that, but that was with the private team and, and that was five hours. And no, how, um, most other families wouldn't been. be able to, ha- most families don't have that opportunity. And, you know, so for them, it's a great worry. And our school, Kit's new school, um, have been absolutely incredible. I cannot fault them at all. They've been, um, very efficient and helpful. Have uh, they been, willing. Um, happy and helpful? for the private team to come into the school? Yes. Um, we've always made it very clear right from the beginning of when we started um, discussing Kit's transition to this particular secondary school that Kit does come with a private team um, and that, that private team is there to support them. It's not there to interfere in any way. It is to support them and guide them and help them because in many ways Kit is quite complex because because he's nonverbal and he's a bright child. Um it's not easy and he he will learn in a different way to other children so having those um, private experts able to go in and guide is a help to them as well actually so we are you know deeply deeply grateful for that and louise can i turn to you and just ask what experiences you've heard of other families in getting the provision when they're going back now into school um yeah i mean I think it's it is still quite un, unknown going back in. I think a lot of them are going back in blind. Um, like just said, over lockdown, a lot of those therapies have not been practical, and a lot of children have missed out on physical therapy, speech and language, um, and so we're not. sure yet how it's going to work. The guidance for schools came out um, last week on the SEND guidance. So I know that we can't fault schools at the moment. They have done their absolute utmost. Um, But it is all very unsure. And that's what we're dealing with with parents is trying to support them when they have the concerns about the children's going back to school in a pandemic, concerns about the EHCP being put in place and concerns about whether those interventions are going to be there and potentially needing extra interventions because it's been so long that children have had to do without them. Mm. We could have really taken a step back with some of those and mm. it's, a, it's a very worrying time for parents. Can I, um, can I touch upon the reviews because I presume... Mm-hmm. Reviews of the educational healthcare plans and special educational needs usually happen in, is it March time, February time? Um, for the finance, yeah, um, reviews can happen all year round because it's every 12 months. Um, my own personal experience is I agreed to having my son's review postponed because it was due in May. 
and there was no point. He's going into key stage four, so we needed um, we need to put things in place. But until I can see what that school year is going to look like, it seemed pointless. However, we have children um, such as Kit who are moving to high school. Um, we have children who desperately need their plans reviewing. And legally, they should have had those reviewed. Um, but, you know, that's really, it's not being practical to get everybody in a room to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, so a lot of those have gone back. And we. I think there's going to be a big backlog, isn't there, to get all absolutely. these reviews done. The, um, the, the local authorities were allowed to get away with not doing an annual review during lockdown. That, that time scale was um, taken away, so they didn't have to do one every 12 months. But from the 25th of September, that's, that's back in place. We have been speaking to local authorities, to other charities, to schools as well. And the anticipation is that, yes, this backlog is inevitable. Um, there's also people that are applying for an EHDP because we've been in lockdown. So we are going to have a backlog there. And also a lot of um, the, like the local authority staff aren't actually back physically in work. A, a lot of assessments can't take place. A lot have had to happen online or video calls, whereas some children need that face-to-face physical assessment. Um, and that's not something we can just jump straight back into. So we are anticipating backlog. We are anticipating delays and waiting lists. What we're trying to do as a collaborative approach with schools and authorities is be able to support parents while they're waiting for these things to happen. Um, Because it's not ideal, but it is very unprecedented times that we're in. Um, But at the end of the day, that child's needs will have to come first and we will have to find a way to make that work the child must always come at the top of that list and that's what we all are focusing on. And Joe, your child was Kit was one of those children that was in the priority of having to transition into the secondary school. So did everything move smoothly with his review of his educational healthcare plan? Yes, it did actually. Um, we did it just before... Um, I suppose it was a few couple of months just before, but I, I, we've always been very lucky. Um, Kit's education at his primary school has been five star. So we've always had a very, very good Senko um, who would always give give us her utmost attention for the reviews. And there's never been any difficulty. Kit's needs are, um, it, we never had to really fight because we've been able to prove very early on he's a full-time wheelchair user he's non-verbal he clearly needs to have two members of staff with him and it's one to be with him doing the work but it's also one to do all the preparation and everything else that goes on behind the scenes and that's the really busy bit um so early on we were able to establish that that is what kit's going to need and indeed at secondary school he's had three tas that have been assigned to him not obviously all full-time um but they have recognized that need um which actually, yeah, I suppose that all happened in about April, May, April time. So now, it's been, been how do we factor in social distancing into our educational healthcare plans? Now? Well, I, yes, I mean, I don't know how that's going to happen with Kit because obviously they, uh, the TAs will help to take Kit to the loo. Um, they are, will be giving him his lunch. Kit cannot feed orally himself. 
So they are in close quarters to him. So um, yeah, I'm just sort of, they've not alerted me to any problems or said that they've got to wear PPE or anything. I know that obviously they're taking all the, um, they'll be doing hand sanitizer and, and keeping as efficiently clean as possible. Um, Will they be wearing masks? Or... They haven't said that that's going to happen. No. And if, you know, if it's a choice, then that's, that's a choice for them. But they haven't said that, that that's a requirement of any of Kit's teammates, <coughs> excuse me, TAs. So, so the staff are not wearing masks. Not as far as and, I'm aware, they're not. And the children are not wearing masks. And I think teachers, I'm, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not too sure, but I, I think teachers are give, being given a two meter square box at the front of the class, aren't they? But of course, for TAs, of which there are many in classroom assistance, I think it is going to be different. I wouldn't be surprised if some of these schools don't encourage their teachers to wear um, masks. But I think I think the official line from the guidance is if you're providing personal care, you should wear PPE. But presumably the, the rationale for that is because you're in close physical contact to someone. But if you're a TA um, or, as you say, you're feeding lunch to someone, you're also going to be in close physical contact to someone so I think it might depend on the school's approach but I wouldn't be surprised if some of these teachers did you know these yeah. TAs did did wear masks and of course the problem is we've all been on summer holidays so all this emails and to and froing that one would normally have with school hasn't happened so it's very much and I suppose for all families we'll just wait and see what happens tomorrow um, we've had the emails welcoming us all back and that the guidelines are in place and this is what we're doing. But when it comes down to the nitty gritty of having a child like Kit, who's quite complex in a mainstream school, um, it's a bit of a suck it and see for me. However, I am in that fortunate position, whereas I'm sending in a member of our home staff with him to um, to do transition because we've obviously not mm. been able to do that. So, you know, we're very lucky to to have that. If a school or a local authority is not... Um, delivering on the educational healthcare plan after a reasonable period of time. Caroline, what do we advise parents and families to do? Um, well, I think I think the first tip I would always give is just make sure you've got a really good dialogue with your child's school. Um, these, sh- these schools should be doing risk assessments for children with EHC plans anyway. Um, the, the guidance recognises that some of these children might not be able to transition back straight away. They might need a period of time to to settle back into school. And so having a good dialogue with school will hopefully help you overcome some some teething issues, if we call them if we call them that. Um, but but ultimately, if you if you're having no joy and if, if provision is not being provided to your child and you, you can't resolve it with the school, then um, you're looking at either. Um, using the school's complaints process or looking at bringing proceedings for challenging your child not being given the provision they require. Um, and obviously there are lots of specialist education solicitors can, that can advise on that. But I think the key to trying to avoid that is to have that dialogue with your school as soon as possible. Because mm. um, going yeah. to an educational, special educational needs tribunal is quite a big deal for families. Mm. Well, there are two separate things, really. I mean, you go to a tribunal if you're challenging the content of your child's EHC plan and if you think it's insufficient to meet their needs um, and you might want to get the provision in Section F changed. But if the if the provision in Section F is already there and for whatever reason it's just not being delivered, you know, if the school says they can't do it because of, of COVID or, or any other reason, frankly, and it means that your child just isn't getting what they are legally entitled to, then you would be looking at, at 
actually challenging them via judicial review, which is where you argue that the, the local authority is acting unlawfully because it's not complying with its legal duties. Um, families so families can take those legal steps. Absolutely. And it's, this, it's a significant step to take. And if any family, you know, did obtain legal advice on that, you know, the first thing that they would do is, is write to the local authority and ask them to try and put it right. Um, and if, and if it can't be put right, then, then they would get advice on whether to take it further. Um, one other question I think is on families' minds at the moment is, um, am I allowed to say no and that my child is allowed to stay at home and not go back to school at the moment? What's the legal position there? <laughs> well, I'll give the legal position, I'll see, and then I'll maybe um, Louise might know practically what parents are actually saying about it on the ground. Mm. But, um, you know, from, from a legal position, the, the government's position has been that from September, children should be back in school. Um, and, you know, parents have, have a legal duty to take their children to school. And when a child's attendance drops below a certain level, the school is also under a duty to inform the local authority and the local authority can seek fines against parents for not taking their children to school. Um, now, that, that is a last resort and doesn't happen that often anyway. So they've um, always, always had the ability to fine they've, parents. Exactly. They've always had that ability. Um, during the uh, COVID pandemic until now, um, that wasn't happening. Local authorities weren't finding parents for not sending their children to school, even if the guidance said that they could be in school. Mm. Um, That's that's back in force, as it were. Um, But I think the important thing to bear in mind is if you have that dialogue with your school, um, if you um, have, you know, a reason to keep your child at home, the vast majority of cases, you know, it will be resolved and you can work out, work something out. And I would say, no, there are going to be lots of children that can't be in school yet. And that's really regrettable. But I think the reality is there are going to be children whose needs can't currently be met in school. Um, And where that happens, the the parents shouldn't be fined. And in fact, the the children should be getting extra support at home and they should be making sure that they're getting the provision they need. And that would be the angle that that we would be taking. If they are fined, they'd be a legal challenge to that. Louise, how have you found the advice, um, the questions from families who are frightened about sending their children back to school? I mean, I must admit, the majority of families we've spoken to are going to send the children back to school. I think among parents, we want some degree of normality back for the children. Um, And we have a lot of children with um, social issues. And I think we're very much feeling the fact that they've not socialised with anyone for six months. And I think there's definitely a keenness to get the children back with their peers and to get them back into a normal way of life. Um, We do have quite a few families anyway that home educate their children. There seems to be a bigger percentage in the special needs community who have already, before the pandemic, chosen to homeschool their children. And that is their right to do that. So we're undertaking that. It's, yeah, I'm an ex-teacher and I wouldn't do it. And having my um my children at home for six months while I've been trying to work as well, it's yeah, yeah anyone that does that, absolutely amazing. Absolutely anyone that does that. Um, but we do have a lot of parents who 
they prefer that way because of their child's needs. And we may see more people now um, choose that route as well. And we fully support whatever a parent decides to do. They know what's best for their child. And if they have any qualms about sending their child back to school, we will, of course, talk to them and support them through that. Um, but I think... That's a um, resource. I think uh, the, the um, friendship and mentoring you mentioned and the support children would get from socialising at school is a big deal, just as big a deal as getting away from Joe Wicks every morning. <laughs> Mum puts you in front of Joe Wicks every day. You never know, they might go back to school and it might be Joe Wicks again in the school. <laughs> yeah, they might. And they'll roll their eyes and say, oh. <laughs> uh, but um, the friendship and mentoring is quite important. I know siblings can also be a real source of um, support and help. Um, Joe, I think has Kip found a lot of help from his own siblings? Or uh, yes, um, Kit has three brothers, two half brothers um, who are much older. And they were able to spend some of lockdown with us, which has been absolutely wonderful because it was just a distraction. And actually, because they were older, they did a lot of the transition work with Kit. So they were looking at, um, you know, we would take a subject like bullying and we'd drill down and, and learn what does bullying look like. And they were able to talk to him more of a, at a sort of, you know, age appropriate level. Uh, so that was great. And actually for Oliver, who's 10, um, actually Kit, because Kit was getting on and doing his work, Oliver, yeah. it meant that Oliver had to. Mm -hmm. Because Kit can't like run away and fight and get off, you know. Yeah. So he was getting on with it diligently. And, Those are the uh, kind of things that you see in a classroom though, with ch yeah. children socialising and learning from each other. So siblings can also help. Absolutely, they can. And I um, mean, I look back over the uh, sort of the homeschooling period, and it was it was a big learning curve. But I'm also very proud of what we achieved and the things that we managed to do. And actually, it was a very good time for us to sort of, you know, be a family and just just be not rushing yeah. around all the time. It made me realize all these after school clubs that we all do. I mean, it, literally rushing, you know, making them eat their tea, get off, do this, quickly play football, come back, um, get into bed. You know, it's, it's exhausting for them. So actually just to yeah. just to not worry about time was lovely. Well, that's a brilliant thought. Now we should try and wrap up in the next two or three minutes just by, um, I think, asking ourselves, what do we hope our children are going to achieve over the next month in terms of transitioning back to school? If we can look in a crystal ball, um, Louise, what do you hope that families will achieve in the next month? Um, I think security and stability for the children, but also for parents to be happy that their child is fine in school. Um, and to, they're going to be anxious. We're going to have weeks of anxiety. Um, I think all parents are, not just parents of children with disabilities, but those of us that have children with needs, I think more so. And I'm hoping that by the time we get to half term, we're confident that the children are fine in school and that the children do feel safe and secure there. Uh, it's, it's going to be a half term. I forgot about that as well. <laughs> yeah. uh, Caroline, from a legal perspective, what do we hope 
that parents are going to achieve apart from hoping that you don't get yet more guidance from the government or <laughs> more promises from ministers <laughs> at Secretary of State's to you turn. I have to say, as a lawyer, it's been a very busy few months with all these changes. Um, I just hope for all, all of the families that we support that they are able to get their children back in school um, and that they actually get what's in their EHC plan. And that, that is going to be very difficult for schools and local authorities. And I, I appreciate that. But it's just so important. And so I just hope that over the next month, all, all the families that we work with are able to, to support their children and get them the support that they're actually entitled to. Brilliant. And Joe, I'm going to give the final word to you because my only hope is that we keep up the packed lunches at home. Oh, I'm definitely not making packed lunches. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I just for Kit, I hope that his transition is going to be as settled and happy as possible. I have no doubt it will be. He's well supported. He's got good people looking after him. He's got a good network around him. Uh, we've done our work. We've prepared him. Uh, he is an achiever and he will do well. And and I, and I think reconnecting and connecting with friends I think the children need that because of course they've only been seeing their friends on on Xbox you know shouting at each other playing Fortnite and things like that so actually just being around other youngsters again properly and playing in the playground all the, the things that we enjoyed when we were young and remember you know the new normal you're describing fantastic well can I just thank you all for joining us it's been a whirlwind hour and it's been a pleasure talking to you all so joe thank you very much and give our best to kit thank you very much and louise thank you very much and give our best to everybody at scope at the charity i'm really pleased that you're doing all the fabulous work you're doing reaching out to hundreds of families around the country thank you thank you for having me caroline thank you very much thank you very much everyone <laughs>